0: Lord, even even in your stillness, we know that you are there. That even our form of worship can just be before you, Lord Father God. We can come before you and we can just be in awe of who you are. So this morning, as we turn and fix uh, not only our eyes and our hearts on you. You transform the way we see, you this morning, Lord Father God. When we keep our eyes and our hearts fixed on You, may we see Your kingdom reign in everything this morning, Lord Father God. In the big and in the small, Lord Father God. So this morning we just pray and we ask Your kingdom come this morning, Lord. We can shout. We can clap, we can roll on the floor. All of that, but ultimately, for you, Lord Father, Lord. you are the source of everything. You are the light of the world, Lord Father. Lord. You are the anchor. You are our hope, Lord Father. So this morning, we just come before you and we just say, "Thank you, Lord Father. Thank you that you are good. Thank you that you are faithful." and even more but thank you that we can rejoice in you no matter the circumstances Lord we come to the end of the year and people go oh we're tired but thank you that we can rest in who you are Lord Father God thank you that you can give us supernatural strength to just know that with you we are knowing that you are in control that when we're in your presence there's nothing that can pull us away from you that when we in your presence, nothing matters, Lord. Nothing else matters but just you, Lord, Father God. So this morning, we just say thank you, Lord. Thank you Thank you that even, <laughs> even though we may lose sight, our eyes are fixed on you. Yes. Our hearts yes. are in line with you. Yes. So this morning, we say thank you, Lord, We are in awe, and we love you, Lord. Uh, We love you, Lord, this morning. In your name, amen. Amen. As you take your seat, uh, will you just say hi to the people around you? Greet someone, man, just like, yeah? Vanillas. Vanillas. Hello, hello. I'm laughing to myself because I see on my script today, they've made all the dates bold and underlined. (laughs) Praise God. (laughs) Um, But if you are here for the first time this morning, welcome to the Father's House Christian Fellowship. We are super excited to have you here. Um, We've got a little connection card. It's this pack um, where you can fill in your details. Um, Have you not received one? I was like, ah, I'll send you one, yeah. <laughs> give her one anyway man, <laughs> you know for the fun. <laughs> um, we are really excited to have you here and um, that you can join us this morning. Um, please feel free to fill out that form, um, give it to one of the guys that you see that is um, handing out our collection um, baskets there and we will gladly contact you and Just, um, yeah, I love on you, man, and want to connect with you. Um, We love celebrating birthdays here at the Father's House, so we've got a great list of birthdays happening over there. So if you know anyone over there, please. Oh, Uncle Greg. Yay! No, 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 no. Wrong. 29th, You. This is awkward. Um, See, it's not my fault this time. Clearly, you're nine. Don't look like her. <laughs> but um, it's Greg's, not Greg's birthday. Don't wish Greg. <laughs> um, but yes, phone him anyway. We miss you. Um, we still want to come over for that cake. Um, but bless all those who having a birthday. Have a good time. Um, um, celebrate. And we just pray for more and more um, favor over your lives. Um, tonight, for those of you who don't know, Christmas girls. Yay! Um, Oh, holy night, um, come let us adore, and all those other things, jingle bells, jingle bells. Um, We are going to be here tonight at the Father's house on the lawn over there at 5. Please note, if you are a member of the church um, and you have our church app, all the lyrics will be on there for you tonight. Oh, aren't we fancy? Um, So if you are a member and you don't have the app, speak to myself, Bertram, or anyone. We will help you get that app, and then you will be able to sing along. Um, The carols tonight. But if you did not know about the carols tonight, it's happening tonight at 5. Bring a blanket, a chair, some snacks, and your vocals. Come on, praise God, okay? Um, And you can sing super loud. Um, Tonight, And we'll be outside, so you'll sing extra loud. Let the neighbors come and watch. Um, But that is carols tonight on the lawn here at the back. So you'll park, and then you'll just walk on that side. The church might be open, might not be open. Don't skrik. You just need to be at the lawn, okay? Um, We will be there. Um, And then also Christmas Day service. Please note, we are not having a service on the 24th. It is on the 25th. So Sunday when you wake up and you're like, oh, I'm just getting ready for church. Um, Don't. (laughs) Don't. Um, Just repeat for Monday. (laughs) Wake up with that same zeal on Monday. Um, And then you come to church on the 25th. It's at 9. It's going to be a good one. Um, But if you do want to come to church, please feel free. Um, Park your car. And you know what? Someone else also must probably be here. So (laughs) connect with them. And have an outside church. Um, obviously, we won't be here because we must preparing for Monday. <laughs> but um, do your thing. And then um, New Year's Eve service with communion will be on Sunday the 31st at 9. Um, again, we are excited about these things. We also do know that um, people tend to slow down this time. Um, but the beauty of fellowship and connection is that it doesn't stop, right? So um, please feel free to join us. Invite your friends um, family, just come come along and have some fun. Um, we still have our regular meetings happening, but this will be the final week. So youth, um, for parents, please note this is our last youth happening this Friday the 15th. I repeat, the last youth for the year um, on the 15th. We are starting at 3 o'clock though. Um, it 's a public holiday um It will be three to eight on friday it's going to be a good surprise for the kids um, they don 't know what 's happening, but I am feeding them, so you don 't have to stress okay um no 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 no, 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 all is not invited <laughs> just to clarify just to clarify the budget was only for uh yes whoever else is asking to so know. <laughs> For the youth. Um, ladies meeting, Auntie Veronica, you're having your last one also this week. Hey, eh? your last and final ladies meeting. So um, come, they're going to have a liquor celebration as well, Auntie Veronica. A big one. Yes, you invited to that one. <laughs> That's the one you invited to. Yes. <laughs> um, healing streams um, will still be open, but you obviously need to contact the office for appointment. And again, we just want to emphasize that um, the healing streams is not just for when you are, uh, you know, um, it is there for you to remain healthy in in who he is. So please feel free, um, especially during this time of year. Um, if you just want to connect with people, have people pray for you. It's a good space to be. Um, So join, um, phone the office, accept must now. <laughs> the Sunday of Christmas. <laughs> no photos then. Um but phone the office, make an appointment, um, and they will gladly chat through everything. And you don't need much. You literally just need to make the phone call. That's all that's needed from your side. We also have um counseling and marriage counseling. So um with Jose and Cheryl, amazing couple. They've been here for many years. You all know them, they do amazing work, and again, um, for those of you who are married or those of you wanting counseling, we're not saying you must go there because these issues. We are saying we love to see you healthy, and we want you to remain healthy. And part of that is journeying um, and growing in the Lord. Um, so these things are for that purpose, all right? Um, so please don't ever feel bad or don't ever feel shame or guilt about these things, but go because you want to grow. Whoa! Did you record that? Why? Okay, just checking. Tweet that later. <laughs> All right. Um, and then on the 17th of December, we have our usual Sunday service at 9. Um, um, and also, for those of you, if you're missing any of our service and you want to um, just a recap, we do have them on YouTube um, and also on our church app. Um, there's a link directly to our YouTube channel, but also to our podcast. So for those of you who don't like to watch, um, you just want to play something in the background, we've got podcasts going with all of our sermons on there, um, so you can gladly have a look at that as well. Um, We've got corporate prayer happening at 8.30 every Sunday, except what's now, the 24th. But if you are here, still pray. Just... I, I, can we put a camera up? I just love... Oh, it's going to be so amazing just to see y'all gather. Um, it's going to be so cute. I'm saying so because I almost probably will also wake up that morning <laughs> thinking I was calm. And then please take note, the church office will be closed as from the 14th of December. It will close at 1, and it will only reopen on Monday the 8th, um, but take heart. Our pastoral care does not close. Oh, come on. Praise God, Diddy. It is still open. So contact Diddy for all your pastoral care needs. He might be going away. Contact him. Just be like, I need your care. Where are you? Come and care for me. Um, (laughs) Please don't. (laughs) Don't be weird. Um, But yeah, and that's all announcements I do have. Um, I'm going to call Zinzi all the way back here quickly. She just wants to share something. And then... The communion is, I mean, the communion, <gasps> the money, <laughs> the money has gone. Um, oh, there's it. Oh, come money. <laughs> Let's just pray. Wow. Um, were you waiting for me? I'm sorry, we're Uncle Pete, man. Time, eh? Shame, man. Do you want to pray? Well, you oh, sure. People that fight over prayer are so godly. <laughs> Um, Lord, we just say thank you that even during times that people are uncertain and that things don't look great, you are there for us, Lord. You provider. You always meet our needs, so we just say thank you, Lord. Thank you so much, and we pray that whatever this church receives in whichever form and in whatever way, that it may be to the extension of your kingdom, Lord Father God, that we'll be able to not only bless people, but we're able to extend the reach of your love everywhere, Lord Father God, for future, um, for nations, for cities, and may we be a blessing to not only other churches, but people as well, Lord Father God. So may this be you to just extend what you're doing, Lord Father God. In your name, amen. amen. Hey, you're looking good, eh? Thank you. Hey. not bad yourself, eh? Ah, oh, I try. Uh, it's not about us right now, Peter. <laughs> Where is this? There we are.
1: When I was um, 12 years old, I discovered that my father um, had bipolar disorder, type 1, the most severe, Um, and it was a very traumatic uh, thing to see his personality change and uh, so he would enter into severe mania we'd be completely out of touch of reality uh, and sometimes it's a double-barreled gun he would then slip into a very deep-seated depression Um, And over the years of his life, we've had to have him certified multiple times um, because he was incapable of looking after himself and seen as a danger to society. And he had a very tumultuous, there's no other word. I can search for a word. Tumultuous is the word for his journey. Um, He... He never broke things, he wasn't, he was just (laughs) self-destructive. So he wasn't violent unless in an institution where he didn't feel uh, safe and secure because in his early years when he turned 18, they actually didn't know what was wrong with him and they never had a diagnosis of bipolar disorder. So he was shunted from here, there, to and fro. He escaped (laughs) a couple of times also and had to walk. Uh, he walked very far. They found him, picked him up in a police van, and took him back to the institution. And that was the beginning of a very troublesome journey. In 2007, I was 27 and my parents got divorced. He uh, defaulted, is the best way I can put it. He decided he didn't need his medication and he would play with his dosages. Very dangerous thing for. Uh, severity of his disorder and um, he made a couple of decisions that were not so great he ended into a second marriage that I did not vocally agree to Um, and that was the beginning of me learning a couple of things in retrospect and in retrospect he made a transaction that marriage was a transaction Because he didn't want to be a burden to my sister or myself. (laughs) So he, in his troubled mind, um, came up with a solution. Society can't look after me. I don't want my daughters to look after me. Because I know I am a mess. And so his transaction was, I would get married to this woman. And she would look after me. But in the end, it was not like that. because I had the foresight at the very first meeting, meeting with her. I don't know God's just like that with me. I saw beyond the smiles. And I knew that this was just going to end badly, which it almost did. But God is a faithful God. I did not understand my dad for a very long time. And we fought, uh, knocked heads, disagreed, and I challenged him. Even in his marriage, I challenged him, and he never spoke to me for three months. Hard three months, because I do love my father dearly. And it's a present tense, still getting used to that. And um, fast forward to 2016, he slipped into a severe episode. He was over 60. There are no studies uh, for that type of disorder, they don't know what really happens. Um, And he was in that episode for seven months, in which time I made horrifying... uh, I was like an investigator, and I discovered terrible, dark, evil things that um, I I do struggle to talk about. And through the help of... Some of you here, to whom I could speak these dark things to, to whom I could say, this is enough now. I will not let the darkness engulf my father any longer. And so I brought out all the dirty laundry to a few trusted. And I said, I'm sorry, this is going to be TMI now, but you need to understand my point of view. My point of view is, I've had enough of this. He will not die physically, emotionally, spiritually. I refuse to accept that. And to put him under curatorship because he was no longer fit to look after himself. Uh, So together with a medical and a legal team and many tough conversations with his second wife in the room. I became an advocate to my dad. And I said, this is what is happening. This is what is happening. This is what is happening. To the point of threats and wanting to smash my car. And I had to be very bold. And I asked the Lord, give me boldness. My father was very fragile. And he said, but I'm so afraid. And I said, daddy, look at me in my eyes. I am not afraid of her. Because I know who I am. Fast forward, my sister and I tried multiple times to get him out of the marriage, and he was still in a transactional state of mind. And we believe that his dementia—it was vascular dementia in the frontal lobe, the seat of judgment—he had lost his judgment. So, in retrospect, we all—we were angry, obviously, at the time, but in retrospect, we discovered, ah, he didn't have any more judgment. He only saw a smiling woman, and that's all that he could see. And through much tribulation, well, through much horrific, horrific, dramatic, traumatic circumstances, uh, we, I fetched him one day. He was slipping. This was after his seventh month um, episode. He was slipping into another m- m- manic episode. I left work. I phoned Leonard, my husband, and I said, I'm picking him up and he's never going back there again, ever, I will take him with the clothes on his back. That that was his house, it was his house, he had assets, he had pension, he worked for the city for 33 years, the only one, he was a mathematician, the only one who could, in his mind, do calculations, complicated calculations, and even last year, his boss called me and said, Cincy, we need your father. We have a completely uh, such a complex uh, and you just know that he would be able to solve it. And um, so I was, I'm a very proud daughter despite the horrific, traumatic and dramatic circumstances. And he decided together with his medical team that we would move him and he never went home after that day. So I did a couple of bold things because I had to, a couple of extreme things because I had to, and the Lord guided every single step. And his last four years was lived in peace, was lived in, he had dignity. He lived in the most fanciest place. I always said, Dad, I feel like I need to dress up when I come visit you here. He lived in the most fancy. He wanted nothing. He lacked nothing. And though all his assets were lost after his passing, I count it all joy. Because earthly things, you can't take that with you. When you die, those things remain behind. And I remember in the face of an, of an evil encounter with her, I stood up to her face to face and I said, you can have his house, you can have his car, you can have all his money, but do you see this man? Yeah." And I stood up and I pointed to her and I said, this man is my father. And as long as I am here, he's not alone in the world. And we walked a journey of four years of healing, forgiveness. Literally, I <laughs> his psychiatrist says, Did they, are they still bothering him? And I said, no, my witness protection program works. And we had a chuckle about that. And I asked my father, um, do, you have, do you bear any unforgiveness towards her? And her family. And he said no. And he was so grateful. And he said, Zinzi, you saved me. And I said, no, I didn't save you. You saved yourself. Because you decided you finally to be bold. And enter out of that transaction. And enter into a new transaction. And I'll end here with this quote. Darkness cannot overcome darkness. Only light can. Hate cannot overcome hate. Only love can. That is a quote by Martin Luther King. And now I've entered into (laughs) a very private person. (laughs) I can can live in the... (laughs) just disappear. And God really spoke to me and challenged me about my father's, there's no, not a lot of advocates for mental health. There's a lot of stigma still about mental health. And he challenged me, and I said, okay, I don't know what this looks like. I don't know how to do this. And I wrote a couple of songs, and he gave me a picture of this journey. I, I know I tried to stay in the time, and... Um, it was a picture of my father as a flower completely bent in the corner of a barren land. It was two days before his memorial. And I was holding up my arm. God said, this is your arm that you are holding out your hand. And I'm hardly touching the petal because it's ash, bent, fragile. And I just waited. And I waited until he was ready to follow me out of this barren land. And he did... To wild, open, free spaces in bounds and leaps. And you think that 60 allies, that 61 years was possibly in darkness. Four years after that, complete and abundant light. Don't stop praying for your loved ones. Don't stop fighting for them is all that I can say. Don't stop saying what you need to say. And so I wrote a song and a couple of songs and I'm gonna sing one. It's actually the titled um, song of, of my album. And I want to give credits to Cara who walked who was there when I just happened to need a soprano. God is amazing that way. And she said, Yeah, sure. She quickly learnt it. I want to give credit to Timothy, my cousin, for supporting me in this and for doing all the stuff. And because my other cousin, Chauvet, um, released him time from his family to sit with my album, released him to do that. Chauvet, thank you. Um, Use it wisely. (laughs) And um, I'm going to sing the song now. It's just a little bit louder because I think it's quite soft. You can always turn it down. There once was a man broken and shattered. My Thank mm-hmm.
0: Thank you so much. So just to echo, um, please note that uh, we have these platforms available for you. Um, So if ever you guys need to chat about anything, connect with us. We'd love to get you connected with the people um, because we all journey together. Right. We all are. Um, So I'm going to call up Mike um, and he is showing the word. Come on, somebody. Um, Oh, water. Come on, Mike. Preach it up. Um, Yeah. And we just bless you, Mike. And we just say thank you. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are. And we just pray that uh, you would give us new revelation and new insight into this. So just bless Mike. Give him all that he needs in your name. Amen.
2: good? Great. Yeah, Yeah, everything good? I just want to say one or two things. First, um, I just want to announce that next year, Martin and I are going on the road as a comedy team. I mean, he's just getting better and better. And we're going to do, I don't know, maybe... I haven't actually spoken to Martin about it, but I just knew he'd be in. We'll warm up with some, like Abbott and Costello, you know, who's on first, you, and, no, you, who's on second, what's on first, and, you know, that'll be the warm-up, and it'll just get better from there. You're, you're good. Fantastic. All right. So that's just a little heads-up there. And then um, I just did have two verses this morning. I was just thinking of two verses came to mind, and I just wanted to read them as a prayer, as, as kind of the prayer for this um, and then I just wanted to I was also so touched and thinking Zinzi, where's Zinzi on that side, thanks thanks for sharing that, I think you know so many of us have these um, in our family you know and you know you've got to share this stuff But so before I do the prayers I just want to, as you were speaking about that And it's linked to what I'm talking about with Israel. Um, Because what is the fulfillment of the Old Testament restoration prophecies? Is it Zionism? Is it let's make sure Israel gets the full land and, you know, and and that? Or is it this? You know? Um, And I was just thinking of that Malachi verse where it says, um, I will send the prophet Elijah before the dreadful day of the Lord. And the appearing of the Jesus is going to be dreadful. For some, I mean, it says, "Who can stand in His consuming presence?" It says, "The very the whole heavens will will flee at His that in His coming um, He will going flat by by just the the His words His His splendor, you know, this is not gentle Jesus meek and mild. So there is a dreadful day coming. And in the New Testament, in the covenant of love, it says, flee the coming wrath. And it says, I will send the prophet Elijah before that coming day. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children. And that was a turning of the heart. And that is the fulfillment. That is the kingdom that has come. Because what happened with you and your ability was precisely because of what Jesus did. Yeah. And the gospel, the kingdom that came. And it came in you. And, and so that was Malachi. And I was just thinking, you were talking about Light. And darkness, and there were just two verses in, in Isaiah, which I just want to quickly look at. So Isaiah, which is Isaiah um, where it says, Isaiah Isaiah 60, it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth. And thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and His glory appears over you, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. And that was a prophecy realized in Jesus, but realized in every single one of us and realized in you and in your dad. And in Isaiah 61, where Jesus quotes this and he says, "The spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has appointed me to proclaim good news, and he says, "To proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness." For the prisoners and these are signs of the coming kingdom. That is really in the end what all the restoration prophecies in the Old Testament means. It also means something for Israel but but we're going to we're going to look at that. Um, and just the two the two psalms that I just want to read and that's the prayer, opening prayer. You know, I really take this as an honor and as a, a responsibility. To, to stand here, you know, with the bride of Christ. And I don't take it lightly. And I think, you know, our world's in trauma. Um, and this is the prayer. You know, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river the ends of the earth he breaks the bow and shatters the spear he burns the shield with fire he says be still and know that I am God I will be exalted among the nations I will be exalted in the earth the Lord Almighty is with us the God of Jacob is our fortress and the other psalm I'm just going to read quickly you know as you talk about this stuff as you press into scripture you're going to have everyone is going to have their feet trodden on one way or another that's what Jesus does Everyone's going to have some sacred car needing to be sacrificed. And we don't like it. None of us like it. And we hold on to these. Which is why Jesus says, unless you hate your own life, your own family, unless you're willing to give these things up, you cannot follow me. You know? Um, but he said, everyone on the side of truth comes to me. So it is hard to give these up. And we do kick and, and scream and squeal like a baby being forced off the breast. But there's this wonderful psalm. And it's interesting. It says the stillness is in the psalm as well. Psalm 131, my heart is not proud, Lord, my eyes are not haughty, I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I'm like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child I'm content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Okay, so basically this is a reboot or a redo or whatever of Two weeks ago. Okay, I'm doing the same <laughs> message, but I'm going to do the land thing this time. Um, can I just see who was, who was not here two weeks ago and didn't hear it? Okay. So, you know, I, I'm going to cover some of the stuff. But I'm going to go quickly over that. And the, the whole land thing, I really, I really want to look at that. So I, I'm just going to repeat it. Same thing, no promises. I'll try to finish by 10-2. Um, and, and just, I'll try... The, you know, give you some chance, but again, no promises. Anything I promise is a lie. Okay, so, and I'm in lecture mode. I I, I really prefer interacting and moving around, but I'm just sitting here and staying close to the notes. Apologies, apologies, caveats abound. Um, so let me just find this. Um, give me a second, please. Okay, so right. So last week I said you know I'm not going to talk about Palestine and Hamas. I'm not talking about all the theological stuff, etc. But um, the main the main issue really it boils down to the the whole thing about. How are we meant to respond to Israel and the land and all that's happening? And the church is really becoming divided, and society is really becoming divided. It's a, it's a big thing. And I was just reminded of, like um, when Paul said in Thessalonians, there's teaching that's going out that's disturbed the church. you know what I'm saying? And there's like a sense the church is disturbed. And we want to do right by God and by people, you know, loving God and loving people, but you don't know what's the truth. And it, it, it creates a disturbance. And you want to commit, but you don't want to commit to what's not true. Yeah. And this is a world in which it's hard to know what's true. You know, so, so hopefully I won't create confusion, but I'll just stick to the scripture. And, and as I've been looking at this, it really does boil down to the theology behind it. And dispensational theology is a huge thing. All right. So that whole thing of, we'll, we'll look at that now. Um, and last week, two weeks ago... I also talked about it's very important to look at how do you interpret the Bible. That's why I called the talk from two weeks ago, which is the same talk, um, Israel, the church, and the Bible. And how do we put those things together? And the thing I said is, I quoted this verse from Paul, don't go beyond what is written. And we tend to take a verse and we tend to make it say a lot more or a lot less than it actually says. And we tend to take it in isolation, in isolation from its context, in where it was first said and where it's located in the Scripture, and in its, in its balance with all the other Scriptures. And when we do that, we inevitably will come up with an unbalanced teaching. And everyone is doing this. We do it. I do it. Um, but it's just to, to really look at the Scriptures honestly and say, Does this verse say what it's being used to say? You know, and dispensationalists are using a lot of verses to say certain things, and people on the covenant side also are saying using verses. And it's really hard to just come back to the scripture and say, Lord, what is your word saying in all of this? And I also said we need to avoid false dichotomies, like people saying, Are you pro Zion or are you anti Semitic? Those are false choices. The choices given in Scripture are always more complex. And it always involves being for all people and being against all people, because we're on God's side. And God is for all and challenges all. And it's much hard work, harder work to do that than simply settle on one side. All right. So last two weeks ago, I also said I gave two examples of challenging like simplistic interpretation. I talk about the Hosea scripture. In Hosea, it says, Out of Egypt I've called my son. But he was rebellious, Israel. You know? And it's quite clear that it's talking about the people Israel. But the way that is interpreted in the New Testament, it says that's Jesus. <laughs> Matthew uses that as a prophecy to say, when Jesus fled, when his parents fled to Egypt and came back, he says, that was the real meaning. And that is actually true. If you cannot find Jesus in every book of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, you haven't interpreted it correctly. Because he is the Alpha and Omega. He was what it was all about, right in the beginning. And I've read the Scriptures many times, and I can see every single thing in the New Testament I can find for you in the Old Testament in one form or another. The New Testament is not a new covenant. It is the fulfillment of what is really there in the Old Covenant. And we're going to see some of that. Okay, so... So... Again, when scripture is not definitive, um, then we can't just use that verse and say, that's what it means, we've settled. And we do this all the time. And you can see areas where scripture is not definitive when you get major camps, like you get Arminianism and Calvinism, and they're both parts of the church, and when I look at that, I say... It's not possible that one side is completely right and the other side is completely wrong. It must be they are dealing with an aspect of truth or some scriptures that are complex and that actually no one can fully handle. And each of them have settled and gone beyond what is written and said, this is where we camp. Like Peter, when the glory came down, let's build a tent here because this looks good. Let's settle. This is good. And God put him right because the heavy cloud came. He says, listen to my son. Which is what we're meant to do, not settle. But keep, we are, we are pilgrims, we don't get to settle. On, not until, Psalm 84, blessed are those whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. They go from glory to glory and strength to strength until they appear before their king. We are pilgrims, we don't get to settle. What we're doing when we settle is like we're saying, show me how I can sit on this bike and not have to do anything and it'll stay up. Sorry, the bike is not designed to stay up. The only way it stays up is by pedaling. And you pedaling until you see Jesus face to face. And when you pedal, it's left and right. It's balance. And you, you just can't. And what is no, it's too tiring. Just show me how to stay up and I'll prop it up with some doctrines. I'll work it out. I'll be a Calvinist. Prop it up and I sit nicely on my bike, sipping a pina colada. But that's not what the bike is meant to do. Okay, you cannot escape this, returning to the Scripture and keep on looking at all sides. Or, or let's say, um, you know, like, are you Zionist or are you replacement? The church replaces, replaces Israel. You know, when we have these deadlocks, we have to keep going back to the Scripture. And when it's not clear, that's when we look at science and experience. We go look at what's really happening. It helps us unlock the deadlock. I'll give you an example like cessationism, it teaches that, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, it says, when fullness comes, prophecies will pass. It's taught that when the Bible came in fullness, we don't have the gifts anymore. And you can argue it both ways. And you say, okay, we're stuck here. Let's look what's really happening in the world. The gifts are flowing. So that makes me go back to the Scriptures and examine it. And you don't invent something. You, go, you find it was locked away all the time. And that's what happened with the Jews. They misinterpreted the old testament and when jesus came to bring in the gentiles they resisted they said this cannot be and god says okay i'm going to step in and he takes peter and he takes him to a Gentile home he has to give him a big vision and then he pours out the spirit and peter finally has this, this cognitive dissonance "Whoa, oh, god has given the spirit to the gentiles like the jews and only later do they go back to the scriptures have counsels and see it was there all along so whenever the New Testament is doing something, it's not adding to the Old Testament, it's revealing what was there. And that's the meaning when it says, I've come to fulfill the Old Testament, every single thing. So, so when I read the stuff and I read the dispensational, let's look at what is dispensational theology. Okay, dispensational theology in all its forms has this basic thing. It says, all the promises that were given to Israel have to be to natural Israel must be fulfilled in the natural to natural Israel. Okay, and that's where you get all the problems, because I don't believe the Scripture makes that promise. I think some of them will be. It's a mystery. I think they meant to get their land. They meant to have their land. They meant to be safe. Anti-Semitism is a real thing. We have to stand with Israel in that way, but to stand with them in an unthinking pro-Zionist thing with no nuancing doesn't, doesn't make sense according to the scripture. And that's going to offend you if you're used to this. If you think that you've been living this out and it's pure scripture, now you're going to kick and scream and say, whoa, I don't like what Mike's saying. But don't believe me if it's not in there. So that's what we're going to look at and we're going to get to the land. So my personal habit, just to say why when I read dispensational stuff, it doesn't make sense to me. Any more than when I read Calvinist, heavy Calvinist stuff. Like Calvin said, God has only chosen some people to be saved. And he's chosen some people to go to hell. That's Calvinism. Double predestination. He's predestined. And um, grace is irresistible. Okay, I, I don't believe that because I don't find it in scripture. I don't actually find it in scripture. I know which scriptures it's based on. And I can see that, and I said, if I just read those scriptures, I would come up to with that conclusion. But I don't just read those scriptures. I don't just read Peter where it says, they rejected the gospel, which is what they were destined for, in isolation, because I also read scriptures that say, God is not willing that any should be saved. And Thessalonians, they perish because they refuse to believe. And even the strong one in Romans 11, it says, they will be grafted back in if they don't persist in their unbelief. So somewhere we have to put those scriptures together. I don't have a problem putting it together. I think the, the sovereignty stuff that says God is sovereign, he has chosen some to be saved and some not to be saved, does not have a sufficiently high view of God's sovereignty. Take that, hyper-sovereign people. I know they're going to be very offended because God in his sovereignty is able to work in our free choice even though he ultimately remains sovereign. And as it all works out, how does Scripture summarize it? That is what you were destined for. You were destined to be free and ultimately not have irresistible grace, but have resistible grace come to you. And in your freedom, say yes or no. And that is what you were destined for. And the scripture doesn't repeat the whole thing every time. It gives the shorthand. It it just says that's what they were destined for. But to take that and say that proves Calvinism of double predestination, God destined some people to be saved and destined others not to be saved, is taking the scripture and going beyond what is written. It's making it do more or less than it's meant to do. No scripture can exist in isolation from all other scriptures. I'm not saying that's right, but that's how I've worked out Arminism and Calvinism. I'm neither. I'm just desperately trying to love Jesus and follow him and be a God chaser and therefore be a chaser of scripture. And I've been studying this for years and years, and it's still fresh. It's still like a beginner, total. So my... My habit of Scripture has been... I've been a Christian for about 33 years, and right from the beginning, one of the first things I did, I took my gold cross, which is given to me like in the in Mediterranean tradition, and I spawned it for money, and I bought with that money a set of NIB Bible tapes. And from that time, for 33 years, I've been listening to the Scriptures every year. And I've divided... Now I've got CD versions and all versions and all that, and it's all on MP3. But I've divided the Scriptures up, and every single year... I listened to the Old Testament twice, through and through, and the New Testament four times. So I'm just not going to be taken like for a fool about what's in Scripture. And as you listen, things pop up. They just pop up. Um, And like, I've just been finishing listening to Zephaniah and Peter, and things have popped up relevant to this. And so I'm just not too convinced if someone says, it's biblical. And especially those that says, we are the biblical ones. Red flags, like you biblical, we're not, but we're also biblical. I mean, you think we're idiots, but we're not. We're all just trying to love Jesus. We're all trying to be biblical, and on both sides, they're both reading the scriptures in a very literal way. And and what does that what does that look like? Okay, so that was it. Then two weeks ago, I said, now I'm going to look at three issues, and I looked at Abraham, then I looked at to the Jew first, and then I looked at the land issue. All right. I'm not really going to deal with Abraham too much now. The, the whole thing is a lot of the promise is um, this is a covenant that was made to Abraham and it's an unconditional covenant and we are the Jews, we have this land, we have all of these promises. But we looked at how the promise was made to the seed which pointed to Jesus and to the extent that they are in Jesus, then they're part of the Abraham covenants. But to the extent you're not Jew or Gentile, you're not. And there's no sort of unconditional thing. Because you're a Jew, you automatically, whatever you do, you get the promises. You do it according to Abraham, according to the faith of Abraham, Jew or Gentile, and we'll look at that. So I'm not going to recover that. Um, But you have to go back to the beginning. When you're looking at dispensational, they're saying, when you look at those old covenant promises, they have to be fulfilled. And they accuse covenant people... Of not interpreting the, the Old Testament correctly, interpreting it in terms of the New Testament. Um, and saying, and, and they, they're saying, no, no, you have to stick with that. But that doesn't make sense because the New Testament writers were Jews. They were Jews. So their interpretation is authoritative. And anyway, you have to go back before the Old Testament to the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. That is Jesus that existed and that word was spoken and it brought everything into being. And in that DNA, in that word that is in there is every single prophecy. And as God's word is doing its stuff, Jesus and the word, part of that process, remember I gave the picture of Israel was the first note played and it must come back to that. But God's got the whole keyboard. That's just part of what he's doing is saying no, it was always to the Jews, and the only reason the church existed because um, the Jews didn't take it. So God came up with a plan, be a temporary thing for the church. The church slots in, and then there's going to come the tribulation, the rapture. Like we can question every single one of these things according to Scripture. The church goes to be with Jesus, and then the Jews go through all the suffering, the tribulation, and then God will kind of bring it all together. Every single one of these things are deeply debated. We have to go back to the scripture with every single one of them. But when I read the scriptures and I just reread them and reread them, these complex, sophisticated systems, which are compared to the bike that's propped up, I don't actually get it from scripture. I don't actually see it in scripture. So let's go to the next one, to the Jew first. And we also talked about that, so we're not going to talk too much. We're going to get to the land thing. Um, it said, just give me a sec Well, I find my, my way here, the priority of the Jews. Okay, in Romans one sixteen, it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Just finding my way here, just give me a sec. So now, if you're very pro-Zionist, you interpret that in a certain way. Priority is given to the Jews. Okay? That was always God's first plan, and we kind of are grafted in unnaturally, temporarily. But then ultimately, they're going to be grafted back in, and God's main agenda is going to happen. I don't see that happening. When I read the whole scripture, I always see right in the beginning, God... It says we were all chosen before the creation of the world. God had a bride in mind before the creation of the world. Okay, And God is not polygamous. Okay, God had one bride. And everything that he's done has been towards this wedding. And he has chosen different nations and, and done it all. I don't believe God failed when the Jews rejected jesus as dispensationists say like jesus came and brought the gospel didn't go according to plan so therefore let's make another plan of the church which is a temporary insert until the jews get back on because when you read the new testament it says by rejecting christ they fulfilled the old testament scriptures so it was there from the beginning it was not a failure it was all according to plan From our side, it looks like it's not working according to plan. We are always looking at the back of the tapestry. where all the threads, and you can't work out what it is. But from the front, which we will see that side of eternity, we'll see it's all been according to plan. God has never missed a beat. Nothing has ever taken God by surprise. And everything has been according to His plan. He knew everything. He knew he would reject. He knew he would be stubborn. He factored it all in. And it is all unfolding according to plan. We don't have to come up with new schemes and explanatory schemes and that to try and explain away the mess. We can rest assured that he's got this all in his hands. It's not for us to work this out. Okay. Um, and, and so first to the Jews... The way I explained it in class is, two weeks ago I said, when it means first to the Jews, they have a priority. Um, it's first to the Jews because God started with the Jews. He's going to come back to them. But it's not first as in you have a special first place, and now you have to create a scheme where now the Gentiles that have to. No, because the New Testament is clear. There's no leveling. Yeah. First to the Jews is just doing Finishing what God started, He offered it to them, and He comes and offers it to them, and and so that is, is more what it means. Um, let's look at some scripture, and that will that will bring it into into context. So he's speaking to the synagogue, he's speaking to Jews in a synagogue. Yeah. This is in Acts 13. Um, Right. I'm going to go back and forth within this whole Acts 13. Right. He's speaking to them and he's talking about Jesus. Okay. They're not receiving Jesus because they're looking for a conquering king who is going to kick the Romans' butt and give them the land back. Just like today. That's what they're looking for. And they didn't see Jesus, because that's not how he came. Um, And he says, through him, they're explaining to the, the Jews, through him, Jesus, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. A justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said Their prophets, Old Testament prophets, does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. What God does, it's always going to catch us as a surprise. It's never going to fit our systems. It's always going to burst them. And we're always going to be playing catch up with God. Now I'm going back to verse 26. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles. He's speaking to both of them because it's a mixed synagogue. In, not in, in Jerusalem, but in Asia. It is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Okay, so he's talking about the Jews in, in Jerusalem. They didn't take it. Um, yet, in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sunday. It's not a plan B, it's not a mistake. It was all in the words of the prophets, it's all unfolding according to plan. And I was just thinking this week, all the travail in the world, we don't have to get upset because it's all unfolding according to what is written. And the joy promised that is our inheritance now is given in this context. So we don't have to be confused. Still in Acts 13, when we go down to verse 46 and 47, then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. We had to. God started with the Jews. It has to come to them first. It's the only way. It was first to the Jews. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Okay, so this whole issue is is right there, right in the beginning of the church. Now, Romans 2, verse 28-29, just to clarify, a person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not the written code. Okay. So now, this is this where the thing's split. If you're pro-Zionist, if you're dispensational, then a Jew is a special category of person before God, and a non Jew is another. And that's not what the New Testament Jews said. That's not what they said. Okay. Does this mean Jewishness gets obliterated? Does this mean we replace? No, that's not what it says. Just because you say hey, that doesn't mean you say you, you're automatically saying the opposite. God will work it out. We don't know. He knows. He knows his kids we don't. Can I come and tell you what to do with your kids? You'll put me in my place, won't you? Okay. Don't tell God what to do with his kids. He knows. He knows what he's doing. I have two daughters. They, my daughters, they don't get treated the same. They're different. I've got a plan, different plans for each of them, but they're fully my daughters. So surely God knows what's happening in Israel. He's got a plan with the land. When they went back to the land, it wasn't like God didn't know what was happening or he wasn't involved in that. Like, duh. I mean, it's He's got his plan, but we can only say, God, if you reveal it to us, we'll know, but we're not going to be arrogant about this. We're not going to work it out and then make sure that everything else is interpreted according to that. It makes no sense. It doesn't make sense. So, um, okay, now let's just go deal with this first to the Jew and the advantage of the Jew. Romans 3, in Romans 3, in verse 1 and 2, it says, Paul is speaking to Jews and Gentiles in Rome. And he says, what advantage then is there in being a Jew? What value is there in circumcision? Like, should we go to the other extreme of anti-Semitism? No, much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. You cannot deny that history. You cannot deny the burden they've borne. You cannot deny the anti-Semitism. You cannot deny that history. You go and tell the parents, your history with that child is nonsense. They'll put you in your place. You go and tell God the Jews are just nothing or, or... He'll put you in his place, in your place. Because he says, I know what history I've been through with my Jews, who are my people, and what history I've been through with with my Gentiles, who are my people. You know, I'm God, you're not. Don't tell me how to parent. And don't work out the plans and dreams I have for my children. What I've revealed, go with that. Don't go beyond what is written. And we work it down to the finest detail. I mean, they even worked out dates of the return, and they keep shifting it. Things like that. It makes no sense. Okay, so there's value. But then in the same chapter 3 from verse 9, what shall we conclude? Do we have any advantage? None at all. Now, are you contradicting or not? First you say there's an advantage. Then there's not an advantage. It's a contradiction. But the Bible's full of contradictions. They're not contradictions. They're paradoxes. There's a verse that says, don't answer a fool according to his folly. And in the very next line, answer a fool, according to their folly. It's subtlety. It's truth that our human language can't contain. So it tends to, like, run out of petrol. So that's as far as I can go. That's, all I can, that's the only way I can do it. But God will reveal by the Spirit. Okay. Same when Jesus said, you must eat my flesh, drink my blood. He was bringing heavenly truth into our human language, and people couldn't handle it. First, the blood was no-no. It was taboo for centuries and or cannibalism on top of that. And a lot of people went away. And, they, and he says, are you going away too? Does this offend you? What if I start talking about where I was before? What if I give you real heavenly revelation? And then he said, the flesh, my words are spirit. The flesh counts for nothing. Don't turn the spiritual words of scripture into human words that we put in neat boxes, because then we have trouble. So then Paul Not a contradiction, but it looks like a contradiction on the surface. What shall we conclude? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. So on the one hand, there's an advantage because they got the truth first. But ultimately, they don't have an advantage. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. And in verse 19, it says this, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. These are words Paul is quoting from the Old Testament to those under the law. In other words, Jews. Okay, this is not anti-Zionism. This is Jews quoting Jewish scriptures to Jewish and Gentile audiences. And it says this, So that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Isn't that a great scripture to put up on your wall? In today's times, whose side are you on? You know, which news feed are you following? Which clickbait are you overdosing on? And we say this, no one is right except Jesus. I'm not right. And we go into the public sphere as servants, as people who have been forgiven, and we're extending that. And we will still be hated, but we will be hated for the right reasons. We won't be hated because we're choosing sides. (laughs) We won't be hated because we're obnoxious, because we're adding to the noise. We'll be hated for the gospel. And that's the only reason to be hated. Peter says, if you suffer, should not be as a meddler or as a wrongdoer. But if you suffer for the name of Christ, rejoice. That's the only suffering we should be submitting to. Okay. So... um, and in still, in chapter, this is chapter 3, and we're going to finish here with, let's just read because it's the Word. Verse 21, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This is not New Testament cancelling out Old Testament. Those are wrong categories. This righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And this is the message we need to take to Israel in Palestine. Even as we understand the anti-Semitism, even as we understand their pain and trauma and their need for their own land, we're going to say, that's fine, but we're not going to be Zionist in that way and curse you by giving you false promises. And, and making you locked into hatred against the other. We are not on either side. We are on the side of God. And, and that is the message we have to take to everyone, to the whole world. And verse 27. So Romans 3 is huge. You can see that. Where then is boasting? It is excluded because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. And dispensationalism says we are nullifying the law by talking about, you know, those promises will not necessarily be physically fulfilled. And they're saying that's wrong because those promises were given in the natural. They must be fulfilled in the natural You're nullifying the law. No, but the law itself, if you read all of it, would tell you that those promises could not possibly all be fulfilled as we are understanding. And if we can clarify this, and this be part of the ministry we do to Muslims and Jews, then I think we're going to be doing our job as the church more than simplistically choosing sides. Because at the moment, the church is choosing sides. I had a past student send me a thing. Can, can you help me with some teaching? He's in London, and he's got a church filled with... He ministers to Muslims, and he says, I don't know what to do because they're really struggling with the treatment of the Jews of their fellow of Muslim Christian of not Muslim Christians, but Palestinian Christians. They're struggling. And then other churches, which are more on the side of the Zionists, are asking similar questions, and we have to return to the Scripture. So... I just say, go and read Romans 9 to 11 again. You know, when Romans 9 says, "Wow, well, Paul's saying, why haven't the Jews come in? But he says, wait a minute. It's always been about a remnant saved by faith. And the remnant was there. He says, I'm a Jew. Um, and then in 11, he says, the Jews will come in. There's going to be a bigger remnant. But I think it's always been about a remnant. I was listening to the audio Bible and then Zephaniah, and I heard the remnants will come back to the land. So then suddenly, as I was listening, I said, wait, the land promise is linked to the remnant. And then I looked up remnants on my word search on, on Esau, and I saw "remnant" occurs about 60, 70 times, and most of it is in the Old Testament. So the Old Testament language has always been a remnant language. God has always said, I will save my remnants. I believe it's always going to be a remnant. It's always going to be a remnant. Where Zionism is, no, the, the Jews as a whole, as a nation, almost will be saved. Because they're a special category. But I don't see that. I think what the Scripture says, it's always been a remnant. Jew and Gentile, there's always a remnant. Um, and we don't know. That's why it says, don't judge anything before the point of time. Wait, leave it to the day when God will judge the secrets of people's hearts. And the first will be last, the last will be first. There will be lots of surprises. And when, whenever people ask Jesus... Are only a few going to be saved? And they wanted to know these questions. He never answered them. He says, You follow me. You mind your own business. You get on with what I've given you to do. That's my business. I will take care of it. Okay, so I think the Jews first, the way I I explained it to my students, and I always understood it, when God said to the Jews first, He chose the Jews. And when they were chosen, the Gentiles were excluded, they were called dogs. And that's what Jesus said to the Canaanite woman. It's not right to give the food of the children to the dogs. I was sent to the Jews first. Okay. And they were without hope. And, and, and if they mixed with Gentiles, it was terrible. When Ezra and Nehemiah came back, they sent the Gentile wives back to Babylon. He tore his, his beard. How could you marry? So you can understand that the Jews thought, well, we are special and separate. And the Gentiles are yet forever. Okay. But it was only temporary. Okay, it was only meant to be temporary. And I give this example. I said, when God chose the Jews, it's like a teacher saying, hmm, okay, let me find the most difficult student, Marlon. Okay, and I'm going to teach you, I'm going to teach you all the difficult moves of this thing, and then you're going to teach the others. That's what is happening when God chose the Jews. It wasn't to choose the Jews and have them at a special category separate. God always works in real time with real people, and he chose the Jews. He did. He chose them. But to be a blessing for every single nation, like Marlon is meant to be the student. I say, if I can teach him, I can teach anybody. And then, Marlon, you're going to go teach everyone. And what happens in the playground with the Jews? Marlon's saying, I know the moves. You don't. I know the moves. I'm special. I'm the teacher's pet. And then I have to come say, Marlon, did you not listen? No. No, you didn't. Okay, so that was just an analogy. Just because someone is chosen doesn't mean that's chosen in that way. You know, you're chosen for a purpose. And the purpose is given in the Abrahamic covenant to be a blessing to all the nations. And that can only be fulfilled through Christ, who is the true Israel, who was the seed prophesied. God has not forgotten the physical Jewish Israel. He's remembered them. They were always there. But through Christ, not through a different dispensation, I don't believe. All right. So now let's look at the land thing. Let's jump and look at the land. So if you look at the, the land scriptures, there were many scriptures given. The land and Jerusalem and the temple. In Genesis 13, when God said, to gave the covenant, the land was always part of it. And he said in verse 15, 13:15, 15, All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. And this is the interpretation. It's an unconditional covenant forever. It was given a physical land. It's forever a physical land. It can't be forever because even the heaven and earth is going to pass away. And there will be new heaven and earth. That already qualifies it. Um, and in, in Genesis 17, it says, The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God But the point is, that offspring I will give the land to, that descendant is the singular seed. It's Jesus. So that promise is given to Jesus. And the inheritance of the land is Jesus' inheritance, actually. And that is eternal. So that, again, qualifies it. We have to look at these things. You have to go and say, wow, that's a different way of seeing it. That softens it. It was hard and unmovable, like a, like a screw that can't be undone. And suddenly the oil of the Holy Spirit and a bit of God shaking it, and suddenly that thing can, can start to move. So that softens the land promise. Um, I do believe that land is, the Jews are meant to have a land there. And I do believe we've got to be scientific and factual about who was there first and how does it all fit together and what was really happening. Good luck. getting people to think logically. My wife's been looking at a whole lot of videos and and like people going around interviewing Palestinians. And the thing is, the Jews must go completely. It's our land. Wow. And it's like the world is on there believing that. But again, the world's going to believe a whole lot of stuff. So it's complicated. I don't have the answers, but all I can try and do is saying, let's go and look at these assumptions, these biblical assumptions which are fueling the way we discuss this. I'm just questioning. And I'm, I'm just saying, let's just keep returning to the Scripture. So, let's go look at John 4, the woman at the well. And she was a Samaritan. And pretty much to understand that, you could put Palestinian. Think of a Jew and a Palestinian. Jesus the Jew and the woman but the equivalent in those days, Samaritan. They were enemies. They were enemies. You know, to be like Afrikaans in English, the Irish and the English. You know what I mean? It's this level of blood that goes back. And the woman said, I can see your prophet, because he just read her mail. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And this is what Jesus says. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you, will not, when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Okay, there's some facts there that need to be on the table. But more important, he says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. So she was saying, is it this land or is it that land? Does it belong to us? Does it belong to you? And she says, look, there's some facts here, but that's not the point. A time is coming and has now come when those natural questions will be eclipsed by a greater question. The natural questions don't disappear. They go to second place. And if they're in second place, there's hope for reconciliation. But they're in first place, no hope. Does that make sense? like there's no male or female, but we clearly have male or female. But the male-female issue cannot be first place. If it's first place, you have feminists chewing up, you know, chauvinists and chauvinists chewing up feminists, and no one wins. But if you put that in second place, there's hope for reconciliation. And Jesus is saying that is now secondary. The ultimate thing is not any physical land or temple or anything. The ultimate thing is your relationship with God, which has always been the ultimate thing. And it has only ever come through Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus died for our sins before the creation of the world. It says he entered a tabernacle that was not made with earthly human hands, not part of this creation. So Jesus has always been the sacrifice and solution for every human being. That is primary. Nothing, nada, rien goes in there except the individual and Jesus. Every single other thing is vitally important, but it is secondary. And Martha and Mary, Jesus said, Martha, you're worried about many things, but few things are needed. He says, in fact, one, Mary has chosen what is better. It won't be taken from her. She was there sitting at the feet of Jesus. And she was going to have to do the housework later, but right there, he came first, and he comes first. He is first, and he's last. And that's what's worth going and suffering for and dying for. And saying, I will converse, I will talk about the issue, but on this basis. Because if Jesus is not there in the first place, there's no resolution. Because the darkness of the human heart has not shifted. And dark human hearts cannot be peacemakers. Cannot find solutions. You can just find political machinations that temporarily work and bless some and hurt others. So it's about Jesus. And I think the New Testament is full of this, and the Old Testament is full of this. And that is the explanation of the promises. They are primarily in Jesus. And only secondarily are they anything about land and that. In the old covenant, they didn't understand. So they, the, it's like the promise, the secondary promises loomed large, and the, the main promises were hidden. And in the New Testament, it's turned inside out. And what was hidden is revealed. You know, he was always there. It was always about that. Okay so that is that the new testament is full of, is, is softens all of these expectations of the land right so i'm going to give you an example of how people take a promise and interpret it in a certain way Alright. When In Acts, there was a a time where Jesus said, they asked him, are you at this time going to restore the land to Israel? Okay? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has determined. All right. Now, if you hear that, does that make it sound more like the physical Old Testament promises are going to be fulfilled? Does that thing Jesus said strengthen that or soften that expectation? If you, if you hear Jesus saying, because they had this expectation, their physical promises of restoration, it hasn't happened. The Romans are inhabiting our land, and we, we have interpreted this to mean, you're going to kick them out and give us the land. So they asked him, are you at this time going to restore the land to us? And he says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons the Father has fixed. Um, does, it make, does it soften that expectation or make you more expectant of the land? Does it soften it? Okay. But dispensationalists take that verse to prove their point. They say, you see, Jesus didn't tell them they were wrong to expect the land coming back. So it proves the point that it's going to be a physical promise restored. And I said, okay, well, then you can argue anything. Because you can argue anything from silence. You can say, he didn't say it wasn't, so he meant that. And if he meant them not to know that the land wasn't necessarily totally physical, he would have told them which is not how Scripture works. It's unlikely that He would have told them, and it softens it. So, so we see these around specific Scriptures, things get interpreted, and we just got to go back to the Lord. So I'm going to finish off with some, some conclusions. Again, there's so many verses, and unfortunately, the only way to deal with something is to actually look at the whole of Scripture. You've got to go through every single relevant verse, which means that you can't do it on your own. You can't. And you've got to make a plan, and you've got to get a document, and you've got to have a place to store the verses, and you've got to do it, and you've got to read back and forth. You know, you don't even have to go read all the theology books. You don't. You just need to read the scripture. And you can go look on Google for a summary of the theology positions, you know, because when, when I go and read the books, I start to feel a drying of my soul, to be honest. And I just long to get back to Scripture. The Scripture never makes my soul feel dry. Never. And you've just got to do that. If you've built a spike and you've got a whole lot of bolts missing, (laughs) something's gone wrong. Everything has to be used. You know, you can't just, like, put some things. Everything's got to fit. And if it didn't, you've got to go back to the drawing board. And so, let's conclude here. What are some conclusions? You know, in Deuteronomy 29, 29, it says, "...the secret things belong to the Lord our God." But the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. And we can pray, Lord, make us humble to know what is given to us and what isn't, and to know what to hold so firmly and fight and die for, and what to behold a bit less, and what's to be let go of, you know, what's to be changed. Um, And then the question is, what is Jerusalem? Who are the Jews? And how are we to pray for their peace? As the Bible says, you know, when I look at the New Testament, the Old Testament, just looking at the Old Testament, what is Jerusalem? When I look at the whole Bible, I see Jerusalem as the physical Jerusalem, but I see also mainly Jerusalem as the heavenly Jerusalem. And it's both. And we are meant to pray for both. Okay. I'm not sure that we should be praying for at the, that physical Jerusalem to be restored and only Jews to be there and everyone else to get out. I, and some will believe that. And some will choose policies and support that. And what if that is creating war and suffering for the Jews? Because you just believe it has to be physical. So I believe Jerusalem is the physical Jerusalem that we pray for, but I think it's the heavenly Jerusalem, which is the dwelling of people from every race and tongue and sex and creed that have come through faith into Christ. And that is what we should be praying for. And we should be going to the Jews with that. and when we have a pro-pro-Zionist, we almost let them off. We almost think, you have a different salvation plan. So I don't have to preach the gospel to you. That's actually what kind of it, what works, what happens. And what is Israel? I think I'm Israel. When I read all those Old Testament things on Israel, I receive them for me. And the Jews, the physical Israel, are Israel. And the church is Israel. And that physical land is Israel. And we've got to pray for Israel. And, and the Old Testament works loosely with these terms. If you go read Isaiah 49, it says, I have raised you up from the womb, Israel. Okay. And then in the next line, to gather Israel and Jacob to me. What? Israel gathering Israel? If I was an English teacher, I would have put red. Keep your, your pronouns and your subjects consistent. You know what I'm saying? But the Bible doesn't have to be that because it knows physical israel jesus the true israel is going to save israel and we the church who are the true israel along with the remnant of jews who are the true israel are all going to be gathered you know it's like that's how scripture works and you've got to be able to deal with it in its concrete and spiritual sense in all of it so i believe god's only had one people what about replacement theology that the church replaces the jews again false categories the only replacement theology I think we should be interested in is the new Adam replacing the old Adam. That is replacement theology. The church has not replaced Israel. I mean, you go to a Jew and say, come join the church. He's going to say, which church? You guys are in such a mess. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? But when you say, come to God, and uh, you're going to have to work it out how it looks, you know, but come out of the old Adam, Gentile and Jew, and come into the new Adam, the true replacement theology. So that's Um, that's the kind of thing. So, I think we need to deconstruct Zionism for the sake of the Jews. For the sake, I'm talking about the physical Jews. You know, I just think there needs to be, wherever both sides are locked into, this is how it is. You know, and and there's no place for the Jews in this land, and there's no and, and And when we say, yes, yes, and these are physical promises that you can expect, and we're pumping money, and we're... What if you're not helping? What if you're locking them in into promises that are not as strictly given as people think? I I don't know. This is a conversation. So, you know when it says, I believe we have to stand with the Jews. I do. But I believe we have to stand, this is the last word of promise, we have to stand with the Jews as they are revealed in the whole of Scripture. And the way the Jews are revealed in the whole of Scripture is a rebellious people that God holds out His hand to, that reject Him, that He will never give up on. They are a type of humanity. They are us. And when it says, what will, when the Jews are grafted back in, when that remnant comes out, it'll be like life from the dead. It will be, because if it works with them, it will be something. There will be a revival. There will be something God has done. It's not that they are special as a people compared to Gentiles. I don't believe that. But I believe that God has never lost his affection for that history and that physical history. And when there's that, it will be life from the dead because God will be doing something so powerful that it will be affecting us. To me, the Jews are like a canary in a coal mine. Do you understand what I mean by that? You know, they would take canaries in a coal mine because there was a sensitivity and they would die if there was gas. And, and it's like a test case. The fact that the world has no place for the Jews is an indictment on the fallen state of the world. And if they have no place for the Jews, they're going to have no place for us. And we can't think, hey, it doesn't matter what's happening with the Jews. It's not that, you know. So we have to pray into all of this, and we have to pray for God to do what God does and to take our hands off what's not ours and firmly take hold of what is ours, I don't have the answers, but I'd like us to ask better questions. (laughs) I'd like us to ask better questions. And this is the last verse, and I'll pray. 1 Corinthians 1, 22, 24. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that no matter what is going on, no matter if the mountains are falling into the sea, we have such a solid foundation in you. God, wow, that we can have a supernatural peace and a supernatural joy and a supernatural love. It's so amazing, Lord. You will never abandon your chosen people. Thank you for that. You will constantly keep coming and seeking us and help us to surrender, Lord. Come and gather in your remnant, Lord. Come, Lord, wake us up to the promises, the true promises that you have given, Lord. Just change us, Lord, and take us into your purposes. And I just ask, Lord, for your mighty hand upon Israel, upon that land, upon the Palestinians and the Jews that are in that land. Father, we look and we see human ideas and understanding and solutions and actions and politics, and they just fall short. Because they don't have you, Jesus. And because they don't have you, the darkness of their heart is not brought into the light. And it is impossible. So we ask for your light to shine in the darkness. Shine in each of our hearts and shine on that land. And shine on every land and shine in our land, Lord. Accomplish your purposes, Father, and help us to have ears that are so finely tuned to you and hearts that are after your heart, that we may be instruments that you're proud of and delight to use. And we are not up to this, Lord. We are not capable. None of us is capable. But we thank you, Lord, that what is impossible with us is possible with you. And we give you all the praise and all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.